Well, as you heard, if you've got your Bibles, uh, get them out and open them up to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we want to take a look at a message entitled, Broken by His Glory. Um, In 2016, during a time when I felt the church was going through a struggling time, um, I preached this message. Um, It was a time when there was a sense for me of a lack of victory and some sin that was weighing us down and some things I was even wrestling in my own life to have a right view of God and keeping things in a right perspective. And so about four years ago, a little over four years ago, I preached this message. But this message is the right message for our church today. As we uh, think about some of the things we've been through and the way God is leading us and the way God is working, I believe this text is um, exactly right for us. Uh, We talked about having communion a couple of weeks ago, and I, I told the staff we are not ready to have communion yet. We need to stop and we need to have a message that gets our focus back on who God is and how awesome he is. And and then when you see God like that, what does that cause you to do? It causes you to fall on your face before him. And uh, so there's a call to repentance in our message tonight. There's a call to serving in our message tonight. Um, But we want to get a focus on the who of God, the glory of God, and then our response as the church to who God is and all that he's done for us. A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And we're going to see that in Isaiah's life in this vision that he has uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. So if you got your copies of the word, uh, why don't you stand up with me? Let's stand and honor God as we read his word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom shall go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing passage of of this vision that Isaiah has and, and what you taught him in it, Lord. Would you teach us as your church as we listen to what your word is saying to us? And I give us ears, Lord, to carefully listen. Give us Give us a mind to be able to comprehend, but then, Lord, faith, Lord, faith to cry out to you where we need to, faith to trust you where we need to, prayer, faith to allow you to work in us and through us for your glory. God, do in this room, do in this place what only you can do for the fame of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. The Shorter Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
The purpose statement of our church says to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we want to take a look at this message tonight and this call to see the glory of God. And then what does that call us to as followers of Jesus Christ? Uh, we saw as we read that Isaiah was broken as he saw the glory. Well, to be broken by his glory, the first thing you must do is you must see his glory. To be broken by his glory, the first thing you have to do is see his glory. Uh, look in verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Starts out in the year King Uzziah died. That's really just a marker in time as to when that was happening. Um, Uzziah had been a king who started out well but did not finish well. But it just shows that for, for Isaiah, this was a real time event. This was a real thing that happened to him. But it was a vision. It was a vision. It was a dream. Um, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has a vision that forever would change him. And so how does God reveal himself to us? I, I remember seeing on Facebook uh, a clip, and, and, and the guy was uh, saying in the clip, he was saying, I wish God would speak to me. I think it's his daughter in the back seat says, well, read the Bible. And he says, I wish God would speak to me audibly. And she says, well, read it out loud. Right? God, God speaks to us in different ways. And in the year that uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And God is revealing himself uh, to Isaiah. God has revealed himself in so many different ways for us to see and understand who he is. We, God has revealed himself to us in his creation. Uh, Sue and I were just up in Muskoka this week, and the leaves are basically off the trees, but it's still gorgeous up there. And uh, Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? As, as the psalmist saw God in creation, he's like, God is awesome. Why would he even care about us? God shows himself to us in our conscience in Romans 2, 14 and 15. To, says, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature know what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. And so God reveals himself through our conscience. God reveals himself through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all of it is God-breathed is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so God has revealed himself through his creation, through, through he's built that in our hearts. God has revealed it through the word. God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And spoken to us by his son and the work of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished and salvation made complete in Jesus Christ, whom he appointed 
the heirs of all things, through whom also he created the world. And God speaks to us through others. Ephesians 4, 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then God reveals himself from time to time through dreams and through, through visions. We see that throughout Scripture. He did it with Joseph in Genesis. He did it with Joseph in Matthew as he's uh, about the birth of Jesus Christ. And here he does it with Isaiah. Now, I think we need to be a little bit careful when it comes to visions and dreams and all the rest of that because some, some, you know, bad pizza before you go to bed and you could have a vision in the night and I don't really think you want to give God credit for that, right? And so we always need to test those things. Do those things line up to the word of God and what God's word teaches? Because what we have in our hands is the foundation piece. It's the what you can take to the bank and trust. But sometimes God reveals himself to people and God can do that uh, through um, a vision, through a dream, we just need to test. Here's what I know for sure. God's dream for you or God's vision for you will never, never contradict his word. So if God's dream for you is, you know, you need to go out, you don't have any money, go and rob a bank. That's not God's dream. That's not God's vision for you. Um, go out and, and marry that person who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ or go into that business arrangement with somebody where you're going to be tied to them. And Yeah, God told me. God told me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't because it goes against his word. But in this case, uh, God gives Isaiah a vision. God gives him a dream. Um, in verse 1, it talks about, um, says, And I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He sees God occupying a throne. God doesn't sit on a chair. God sits on a throne. Um, rulers and kings and judges sit on thrones. That people with power and authority and sovereignty sit on thrones. And so as Isaiah looks and sees this vision of God, he's not just slouching in a, recline, a recliner somewhere. He's God is sitting on his throne because he's the king. He's the ruler. He is the one with the authority. God, uh, Isaiah wasn't alone in seeing God on thrones. Um, Job did it, and David did it. The sons of Korah did. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the apostles. And John saw God's throne in Revelation. In fact, the book of Revelation may as well be called the book of God's throne because God's throne is specifically mentioned more than 35 times. And so as we see this picture with Isaiah, God is on his throne. God is ruling. God is in control. Hey, little side note here. Have you lost a sense of that during 2020? God's still on his throne. God is still on his throne. He is still working. He's not up in heaven surprised by anything that's going on. And, and he's, he's growing us and he's teaching us and he's correcting us. And he's all of those things. And it's because God is on his throne in our world, the bottom line is atheism and materialism. They don't believe there is a throne. Humanism believes that there is a throne, but it's your throne to sit on. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we get a vision of God and we see that he is the one who is on the throne. He is the one who is high and lifted up. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. 
try and picture what's going on here. I, I don't think we can even come close to what Isaiah saw. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Again, that was a picture of royalty. That was a picture of, of, um, of someone who is um, to be revered and followed after. It was a picture of uh, someone who is filled with dignity, um, Wearing a long train meant that I'm important enough that I don't have to work. I'm a person of honor and dignity. Others must serve me and wait upon me when we see God on the throne with the train of his robe. It's because he's in control. He's got it figured out. Essentially, that's the picture of a bride who wears a a dress with a long train on her wedding day. See, if we're going to be broken by the glory of God... We must understand, first of all, he is glorious. We have to understand he is so not us. He is so beyond us. We must see a glimpse of his glory. Uh, Building on that, if we're going to be broken by the glory, you must feel the weight of that glory. You must feel the weight of that glory. Look look down in verse 2. As he sees in this vision, he, he sees the seraphim, he sees the angels, that's what seraphim are, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. It, the, the whole idea here is as he's looking in the Hebrew is the weight of what's going on here. He looks and he sees these angels with their six wings. With two, they cover their faces. That's because they're before God and they adore him and they dare not look at him. With two, they cover their faces. With two, uh, they cover their feet, which speaks of modesty and submission and surrender. And then it says, and with two, they fly. They flew so they could cheerfully perform what their duties were. They could serve the Lord. And when you think of your own life, when you, when you think of who God is, when you look at him, do you, do you want to go, Lord, I don't even deserve to look at you. I can't even see you because you are so awesome in all that you've done. Do you, do you um, come to him with that kind of a spirit? Do you come with a spirit of your feet are covered and you come in humility and you come in modesty and you come in submission or do you just flippantly come before God like he's your bro? The angels, their faces are covered, their feet are covered and their wings are flapping as they serve the Lord. That's, that's the weight, that's the, that's the sense of what's going on here. In verse 3, it says, And one called to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, everything that God has created, everything that God has made is filled with his glory. See it in his creation. See it in his working. See it in the way he drew you to himself in Jesus Christ. But the whole earth is just filled with his, with his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Why do they repeat themselves? Well, it's for emphasis, obviously. In the Hebrew language, it showed intensity in in communication by repetition. And so if you said something once, it was important. If you said it was twice, it was more important. If you said it three times, it was really, really important. Now, that happens in our house, but not for the same reason. Sue tells me something, and it just goes one ear and out the other. And then she tells me again, and sometimes it lands. Usually by the third time, I get it. Okay, that's really not what's going on here. The picture here is holy. Do you understand what we're saying as we fly by the angels saying, holy, 
holy. And so three times they repeat it so that we would feel the weight of it. We would understand to say the Lord is holy says something. To say the Lord is holy, holy says far more. To say the Lord is holy, holy, holy is the Lord is to declare his holiness in the highest possible degree. That idea of being holy, though, means to be set apart. It's God in his set-apartness, his he is not me. He is so far above me. We need to feel the weight of his glory. It means to be set apart. God is so holy. He is not like us. And yet we desire a relationship with us. Um, Think about it like this, just crying out, holy, 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 or set apart, set apart, set apart, or you are not like me, God. You are not like me. You are not like me. You are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. Uh, This is overwhelming Isaiah as he sits, sees God on the throne, is feeling the weight of God's glory. Whose glory? Not man's, not a system, not yours, but God's glory, his essence, his presence, his transcendence. He He transcends all he is and even more. It comes from his character and his creative power and his revelation and his working in my life. It's everywhere. Look down at verse 4. As Isaiah continues to watch, it says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. All of the foundations of Isaiah's life are being shaken right now. All of the foundations of our lives are shaken when we understand who God is and his judgment and his love and his caring and all of that. It shakes us to the core that was shaken to the foundation. But Isaiah only had a glimpse of what we know that's already been accomplished. He would write about Jesus coming in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 14, but he he only had a, a glimpse of it. He didn't understand And we have a far fuller appreciation of what's been accomplished for us because of the work of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. In John 17, 4 and 5, it says, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have had with you before the world existed. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance, Jesus is, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The earth keeps spinning, the planets keep going around, but by the word of the power of Jesus Christ. He's not up in heaven trying to figure out, how do I keep this all from flying out of control? Just a word, and it all stays in order. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we think about the weight of the glory that Isaiah saw, but we see it even more fulfilled because of the finished work of Jesus. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. Jesus sits on the right hand of God making intercession for us. Does any of that shake you up? It should. It should cause us to go, oh my goodness, God is awesome. I don't even deserve to be able to open my eyes before him, but because of the grace and the mercy and his love and his caring for us, 
Feel the weight of the glory. The great exchange. All of my sin put on Christ. All of his righteousness put on me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, what? so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, as a result of all of this, you must be broken by his glory. You must be broken by his glory. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, it goes on a great text about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it comes to the part where it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You come to a place of brokenness. So many of you have come to that place of brokenness when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You realize, I was a sinner separated from God. I can't fix this problem. Jesus Christ has accomplished all of this for me. And you were broken in your sin, and you trusted Jesus Christ, and and. Your sin was put on him and his righteousness was put on you. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God did all of that for you in Jesus Christ. But you came to a place where you were broken. My life verse, my flesh and my heart may fail, Psalm 73, 26. But God, my flesh and my heart fail. But God, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be broken at some level by the glory. You may not understand it all at that time, but you understand you were a sinner and you couldn't fix the problem. And Jesus Christ came and he solved everything for us. We put our faith and trust in Christ and we have this new hope because of what he has done for us. Because you were broken. You're broken by your sin. Now look down at verse 5 now in our text. Here's how he is broken. As he looks and he sees God on the throne and he sees the angels and he hears them crying out, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, for I am lost. Isaiah's like falling apart here. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm, I am a mess. That's the, that's the cry of his heart. And you see two things here. First, the, we see the, the sight and the sound of the seraphim. But secondly, we see the vision of the Lord God. And when Isaiah saw the Lord, the poor comparison that he was to that standard, he, he is broken before God. He has a deep sense of his own depravity and brokenness and is inconsistent in his walk and all that he is before God. And he wasn't the first person in the Bible or the only person in the Bible this happened to. We, we see it with Job. We see it with Daniel. We see it with Peter. We see it with John in Revelation. Each of them had a similar experience when they saw God. And what did it do? Well, three things that it did, and it's really part of the crux of what we need to see as a church. When you see the glory of God, you immediately see your sin. When you see the glory of God, you immediately see your sin. Remember the story of David with Bathsheba, and he sins with her, and she gets pregnant, and he has Uriah put to death. And in Psalm 51, 4, he says to God, against you and you only have I sinned, right? That's an interesting phrase, because he'd sinned against Bathsheba, he'd sinned against Uriah, he'd sinned against the nation as the king. But when he got focused, it was like the rest of that, God, against you and you only 
Have I sinned? When we come before God in our sin, we come before him because of how awesome he is and we see our own brokenness. Sin coming out of pride, sin coming out of the things that we want, sin coming out of our passion for self or our passion for what we want to accomplish in our life, coming out of stubbornness, coming out of willfulness, coming out of some sense of independence and... um, And over these last weeks, over these last weeks in our church, we've been a hard through a hard time. It's been a difficult time. And, and it doesn't mean it's not going to be a difficult time moving forward. But we have a God who's filled with grace and a God who's filled with mercy and a God who loves to restore. And a God, But that's not going to happen if we don't face the things in our own lives that we need to face. And so as I'm talking about these next few moments... If you start thinking about, yeah, I know somebody who needs to hear this. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy needed to hear that part of the message. You're missing the whole point. I should have brought you all a mirror and just had you hold it up in front of your face for the next five minutes of the message. Because this part of the message is for you, everyone, and for me. As we take a look at our own hearts and our own lives, I I think of some of the things that have gone in my own mind in in the last, say, three, four weeks, and I found myself getting angry sometimes. And, hey, righteous anger is a right thing, but unrighteous anger isn't a right thing. And I found myself on on my knees, beside my bed, crying out to God, show me, God, show me where I've sinned in this, and open my heart to it. Make me willing to see in light of who you are and what you've done, and confess my sin before the Lord. Stop looking around at anybody else. Just look at your own heart. Isaiah wasn't worrying about anybody else. He's looking at God, and he's like, woe is me. I've had some woe is me experiences during these last few weeks. I've been asking God to reveal things to me. If I've spoken to someone in a way I shouldn't have, to reveal that to me, I'm going to go to that person. I'm going to make it right. I've had to confess some things about anger that I've wrestled through. And how could those guys, how could that ever, what was that all about? And And it wasn't righteous. So don't think about anybody else right now except yourself. And what God's calling you to, to examine your heart, examine your life. And a very famous passage in Scripture about this is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Starting at verse um, 13, it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among the people, when trouble comes, if my people, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What does God need to reveal to you today? What do you need to come before the Lord with? As God is revealing things to you, what do you need to cry out to him? Woe is me. I found a little like Charlie Brown character of this. I'm going to put it up on the screen for us. Um, Snoopy, many folks are praying for God to heal our land, but I think he's still waiting for people to humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways. 
We always want the end result done, but we don't want to go through the parts that we really need to go through to have that made right in our lives. Would, would we be people of God who are humbling ourselves, repenting and turning and not waiting for someone else, but just doing what God's called us to do? Um, that's the second part. The first part, he reveals sin. The second part of this, when you see the glory of God, you immediately see the need for repentance. I don't want to be before God in this situation anymore. I want to be right before God. I'm called to repentance. And then when you see the glory of God, you immediately seek reconciliation because of the glory. Look at, um, and back in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Um, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. He touched my mouth. This coal. Now remember, it's a vision, right? It's not, it's not like this actually happened to him. It's a vision. But, but this coal that comes, this cleansing that comes, this reconciliation that comes, um, says he touched my mouth. Now in the picture of it, you think that's got to be filled with agony. Um, one writer said this, either there was no pain because of a special blessing by God, or the pain didn't matter because of the majesty surrounding and the goodness of the cleansing. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Your sin is atoned for in Jesus Christ and your salvation. Your sin is atoned for every day if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we are reconciled to God. And hey, church, as people, we need to be reconciled to one another. When we see God for who he is, we see our sin, we come before him in repentance, and then we desire to be reconciled. We desire to be right, not only with God, but with one another. When we are broken by his glory, we will repent and we'll be reconciled. And then the last point is, when we are broken by the glory, you must respond to the glory. You must respond to the glory. Look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Um, is there anything that God needs done that he can't find another way to get it accomplished? Does he, he need you? No, but, but God desires to use us. I love that picture of us being as ambassadors, um, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's like God doesn't know. No, God knows exactly who it should be. What does God wonder about? Nothing. What questions would he have? He doesn't have any. What does God not know? Nothing. So the question is for us. Who will go? Who will be willing to surrender? Who will be willing to serve? Who will be willing to take on the task? You must respond to his glory. I already hinted at it, more than hinted at it, talked about it in the message. We, we begin that response in salvation when we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. We transfer the trust, as it were. I'm not going to go through life thinking I can get there on my own. I can't. I'm too much of a failure. God's awesome in too big a way for me to even fathom that I could ever stand before him. So I turn and I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. And through grace, through God, through faith, we are saved in salvation, but we respond to glory in surrender, to surrender a right view of yourself, 
Uh, maybe in some of the things you're working through, it may not have anything to do with the church. It might be something you're working through in your life right now, and, and you're looking for some vengeance. You're looking for some, I need to get even in this. And hey, the Bible says in Romans, it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Don't, don't take things from God that are his to take care of. You let God do that work. You don't know how much they hurt me. Well, if you think you can do a better job than God can of dealing with those things, then um, that's not going to go well for you. We need to come to the place of surrendering by having a right view of myself and Lord. You are the king. You are the throne. I submit to you. We respond to God's glory by worship, personal worship, corporate worship. We respond to God's glory by obedience by being in God's word, by praying, by obeying what God calls us and tells us to do, uh, to be baptized and to uh, study the word and to uh, be faithful evangelists, to, to um, preach the gospel, to all those things that God calls us to do. When, when you see the glory of God, you must respond to his glory. We respond to God's glory by serving. We respond to God's glory by serving. Um, it's an interesting time in COVID and, um, you know, some people are comfortable coming to church more and more every week are comfortable coming to church. And I'm so thankful for that. I, I believe that's an important part of the Christian faith is being together. It's being together and it's fellowshipping together. And, and we're learning how we're going to adjust the services to make them um, not better because that's not the right word but make them fulfill what we're really called to be as followers of Jesus Christ. How do we how do, we do that? Um, we did that starting last week by uh, because it was getting cold outside, but allowing people to have fellowship inside. It was so cool just to watch people talking to each other. You had distance with masks on, all those things you were doing, but we were doing what the church is supposed to do, right? Um, I, think, I think for some, and I know there's some who will be watching and listening who you've made some decisions based on health and all the rest, and I want you to know I 100% respect that. But there are some where it's just become comfortable. It's easier just to grab a cup of coffee and have church in our pajamas than coming together as the body of Christ as we should. Um, believe me, we wrestled through that too. And uh, coming back to the word service, though, when we see God in his glory, it calls us to serve. You know, there's still lots of things that need to be done here. Not done as jobs done, but done in serving the Lord. And uh, right now, staff do a disproportionate amount of that because there's a sense of, I don't know. I don't know. We don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. But God calls us to, to serve. Who will go for me? Who will? Hey, you just need to read the rest of Isaiah. God wasn't asking them to go on a cruise. It was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. But he decided he would do it because he saw God in who he was and in all of his glory. Out of love for Christ. Out of, out of love for one another. Out of love for the unlovely. Um, we're called to serve. And so if we're going to be broken by the glory, we have to respond to it. Well, so what? So what? When Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the glory of God, it changed everything. Isaiah moved from seeing and being broken before God on his face to wanting to be the answer to God's question, who will go for me? 
And he says, here am I, send me. As I have wrestled over these last few weeks with my own heart, my own struggles and all that's gone on, um, this passage has been so helpful for me to go back and find that message. And you preached it, Pastor Paul. Are you living it in your own life? Are you looking at the glory of God and then coming out of looking at the glory of God? Are you on your face before God asking him, reveal things to me, Lord. Show me things in my life. Make me willing to confess my sin. Make me willing to repent. Make me willing to be right with whoever it needs to be to be right with. And whether that's a church thing or a family thing or a different kind of relationship thing, that's what God is calling us to today. Because as people of God, we need to be people who are broken by his glory. Not broken to be wrecked, but broken to be reconciled. Broken to be brought back into an amazing relationship that God can work in us. God can do that work, and he can do it for the fame of Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, today. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you take it and you use it and you work through it. And thank you for the working of your Holy Spirit in my life in these days. And the working of your Holy Spirit in the lives of the people who are listening to this message, who are being called, Lord, to see you in your awesomeness, but then as a result of that, come before you to repent, to restore, to do whatever we need to be called to do, but a willingness to do it for the sake of of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit. And I pray that you would take it and you would use it, even as we move away from the service in a little while, you would still remind us and we'd be people who have such a strong desire to honor you and see who you are and live for your glory, that we would do whatever it takes in our own lives. Not looking around at what somebody else needs, looking, Lord, what do I need? What do I need to do? And then God willing and doing it for the fame of my Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.